If you've been with us for a little while, we've been going through the book of Acts. And if you don't know a whole lot about the Bible, the Bible is made up of a whole lot of smaller books that all fit into one big book. And Acts is one of them. It's in the New Testament. And so it's the time after Jesus has died, he has risen again. And that's when the book of Acts kind of picks up. And so we've been going through that book um, kind of not necessarily line by line, maybe thought by thought. We've been going through it, and we, we are all the way into what is known as Paul's second missionary journey. And so that's where we've been the past couple weeks. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, this guy named Paul, he had been reasoning from the Scriptures. Like, he'd been telling people about Jesus through the Old Testament even. And so he's doing all of that. And so we wanted last week to have kind of an opportunity for all of us to kind of do that same thing, to be able to reason from the Scriptures. And so if you were here last week, we encouraged anybody to come up and we had the open mic and just to share why Jesus. And if you were here, it was a beautiful time of people sharing a little bit about why Jesus or what difference does Jesus make in your life. Um, Or even why would we worship someone who had died over 2,000 years ago? And one of the things that I loved that um, no one had necessarily said, but I think was implied, but then Duke said at the very end is the reason why we worship someone who died 2,000 years ago is because he's not still dead. He's alive. And so in any case, last week was this beautiful time of us reasoning from the scriptures together and being reminded about who Jesus is. And and today we kind of find ourselves um, in Acts chapter 18. We've been kind of in that 17 to 19, 16 to 18. We've been in there for several, several weeks in a row, but we're in Acts chapter 18 and we're going to look at a couple they're named Priscilla and Aquila. We're going to really look at the couple, and then there's, there's this day that they meet a man named Apollos, and we're going to talk about Apollos. Um, and we're going to talk about what happens after that meeting. So really what we're going to do today is we're going to do four things. We're going to talk about the people, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. We're going to talk about the moment they meet. We're going to then peruse through the Bible to see what happens as a result of that moment. And then we're going to have some takeaways. Um, there's a lot to cover. So Um, Acts chapter 18, if you have a Bible and you want to flip open, Acts chapter 18, we're going to skip around a little bit. Acts chapter 18, verse 1 through 3 says this. This is going to kind of be the introduction to our people that we're going to talk about today. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth, and he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he, Paul, went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And then um, Acts 18, part of, eight, part of 18 and then 19 says this, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And they came to Ephesus, and he, Paul, left them there, but he reasoned this, he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And then verse 24 through 28 says this, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, 
he greatly helped those through faith who had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray. God, your word is so powerful. It's so rich. There's so many things that we can take away from it. But God, I pray for today that you'd open up our hearts to see you through it, to see your grace, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. God, I pray that, um, that you'd overwhelm us with those. In Jesus' name, amen. So we meet this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, kind of a funny names, um, but we meet Priscilla and Aquila, and it says that Aquila is a Jewish man. So he's this Jewish guy from Pontus. He's obviously married to Priscilla, and he comes to Corinth because he kind of has been kicked out of Italy. So in that day and age, they're kicking Jews out. And so they leave, they come to Corinth, and they're working. And as they're there working, a guy named Paul shows up, and they begin to hang out together, and they're working together. And as time goes on, they choose to travel with Paul to Ephesus. When they get to Ephesus, we meet a man named named Apollos, who's from Alexander, which is the capital of Egypt. And he's this guy that's eloquent. He's a good speaker. He, he knows the scriptures. He knows the Old Testament of the Bible. He's fervent in the spirit. And he speaks boldly in the synagogue. But, but it says that he only knows the baptism of John. And so it's kind of like, okay, well, what does, what does that actually mean? What is the fact that he only knows the baptism of John? What does it mean? And really, I think what it means is he knows that God created everything. So he knows the kind of like, like that first banner. He knows that God created everything, that he created it beautiful and wonderful. But he also knows that, that it didn't stay there, that there was this ugly moment where Adam and Eve listened to, to the serpent and they turned and they went away from God. And he knew that there was this ramification across the board, that all of us then after that that were born were born separated from God. There's something that blocks us from an intimate, deep relationship with God. He, he knows that. And he knows that the Messiah, there'd be a Messiah one day, someone who's going to fix this problem. But he, and he knows that that's coming soon because John the Baptist all the way back in the very beginning of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he comes on the scene and he says, repent for the time is near. He says things like that basically the Messiah is coming and it's coming, he's coming soon. So, so Apollos knows that this is going to happen, it's going to happen soon, but as he's sharing what they realize, what Priscilla and Aquila realize is that he knows a lot, but he's missing Jesus. He knows about that someone is coming, but he doesn't know who it is that has already come. And so what we see in this is that it says that Priscilla and Aquila, that they explain the way more accurately. So Priscilla and Aquila see this guy who's got, who, who knows a lot, who gets it, who, who's trusting and has faith that something is going to happen, but he hasn't realized that it has already happened. And so Priscilla and Aquila take him and they explain the way more accurately. So I think what that means is they connect with them. They spend time with them. I feel like when we read this text, it makes it look like they like say to him like, hey, let me tell you the way a little bit faster and a little bit like more complete. And it makes it seem like it happens like in a minute. But I think that this goes on for some time. I think that they take um, Apollos and they explain the way more accurately, which means that they connect with them. They hang out with them. They, they, they have to take some time probably to earn some trust and to build some trust. And so they spend time with them. They shepherd. They reason with him from the word and they explain it to him more accurately. And what I think that that means is, is that Priscilla and Aquila meet Apollos. So what they do is they realize that he doesn't 
know all about what has happened. He doesn't know about Jesus, so they explain to him the Christmas story. They say, Apollos, years ago, an angel showed up to a virgin and said, you will be with a child. And she says, how can that be for I'm a virgin? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will have a child and he will save his people from sin. You will have this child who will, who will be the Messiah, who will have the throne of his father David. And nine months later, as Mary is traveling, because there's a census, she will have this baby. He'll be placed in a manger because there's no room for him in the inn. And a star will light the sky. And angels will show up to shepherds and will say, I bring good news to you of great joy for today a Savior is born. Amen. And this good news is for all people. Amen. It's not just for some people, it's for all people. And then wise men will also come to this baby Jesus and will bow down and worship. And it says that they will make haste to get to him. So I think Priscilla and Aquila tell him this story, like the, the Christmas story. They tell him about the Christmas story, but what's so cool about the, even about the Christmas story is it doesn't stop there. It's not just this baby, but it, there's this continued story that goes on. And so Apollos would have heard from Priscilla and Aquila about the baptism of Jesus. That you Remember, Apollos knew the baptism of John, so he knows what John is saying, but they would have said, but listen here, John himself, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. And so what he would have said is, listen, John himself said that this Jesus was so amazing and so great that John could not even untie his sandal. He was unworthy to untie his sandal. But Jesus would get baptized and John would baptize him. And when he'd come out of the water, a spirit like a dove would come down and descend upon him. And it says that a voice cried out from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and I think what we see so far is what, they're, what, what probably Priscilla and Aquila are saying to Apollos is Mary, the mother of Jesus, she believed. What he's saying is the shepherds believed, wise men believed, and even John the Baptist believed who this Jesus was. But this story doesn't stop there. He's not just um, born and baptized, but he has this ministry. And so Apollos would have heard from Priscilla and Aquila about Jesus' ministry, that this Jesus, he, he, he lived and he taught with this authority. Like he said, banana-type things. He said, I and the Father are one. If you see me, you see the Father. Like that's just insanity to say something like that. But then they also saw that he healed sickness, that he cast out demons. So Priscilla and Aquila would have told all of that. Priscilla and Aquila would have said, that Jesus didn't just come for some people. He was good news for all people, and he came and he hung out with tax collectors and sinners. This Jesus, I think Priscilla and Aquila would have said, he also said that he was going to die, but that three days later, he would rise. So then, Priscilla and Aquila, I think, would have not only told them about the birth of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, I think they would have also told Apollos about the death of Jesus. That Jesus does all of these awesome things like we talked about, but, but he's betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. He's captured by night. His followers scatter. He's declared innocent, yet a crowd begins chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so although declared innocent, he's sentenced to die. And he's put on a cross next to criminals. 
And just before he takes his last breath, he says, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And then Jesus takes his last breath. And the Bible says that immediately day turns to night. Just boom, it's dark. The Bible says that there is an earthquake. And in that moment, a centurion, a guard, says, basically, the Brian Pelfrey version is, oh, crap. But what he says is, surely, this man was the son of God. I think Apollos would have heard about the death of Jesus from Priscilla and Aquila. But I think Priscilla and Aquila would have said, and, and guess what? He was poor. Jesus was poor. He had nothing. He needed no place to lay his head. And so he was given a borrowed tomb. He was placed in a rich man's borrowed tomb. And they rolled this huge stone and it blocked the tomb. They put guards outside the tomb and it was all quiet for three days. But I think that Priscilla and Aquila would have said, but Apollos, you know what happened next? Some of the women went down to the tomb. They went to pay their respects to this Jesus that was this amazing teacher that healed people that was just, he was just this awesome guy. So they went to the tomb, but the tomb had been opened. The stone had been removed. And then angels showed up to them and said, why are you looking for someone who is dead? He's not dead, he's alive. And then Jesus appears to a woman named Mary Magdalene and she leaves from there declaring to the rest of the disciples, he's alive. He's not dead, he's alive. And it says in Luke chapter 24 that they, that it, they believe it to be an idle tale. But I think that Priscilla and Aquila would have told Apollos about Jesus' birth, Jesus' baptism, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, and Jesus' resurrection. And I believe that Apollos, I, I try to imagine what this moment would have looked like, and I feel like if I was Apollos, like the joy and the surprise and the excitement and the facial expressions, like I picture Apollos like leaning off of his seat, like Jesus, he, okay, so he, he did all this stuff, and then Oh, no, he, then, he, then he, he, they killed him and he died? Then he rose? Like, like he, he, he just, he grasps this. And while I think in a way he, he started this story where he didn't know Jesus, didn't know of Jesus maybe, but now he knows, he knows what has happened and he gets it and it's this beautiful, amazing moment. But I think, when I think of Apollos, I think of Humility. You get Priscilla and Aquila, some couple just come up to him and say, hey, I want to tell you about this, what happens after what you know of. And the humility that it takes for him to be open and to listen. He's an eloquent man. He knows. He's competent in the scriptures. And yet he is willing to be humble and come under this couple and listen to them about what they say about Jesus. The teachability that it shows and then the faith that it shows that even though he hasn't seen all these things, he believes. It's this amazing, beautiful moment. So what happens is, is we have talked about the people, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. We talked about this moment that they meet. And we can read through the Bible and we can see that there are many results that come out of this meeting. I'm going to go through them real quickly. In chapter 18, verse 27, which we read, Apollos will go on to go to Achaia. He will greatly help the believers. He will powerfully refute 
with the Jews, and he will show by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. It's this amazing result. You, you can see like the, what I said a couple weeks ago, that the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel has penetrated his heart, and he is out there sharing it. He's, it's this beautiful picture of what happens. We can read on in, in Acts chapter 19 that he will from there, Apollos will from Ephesus, having learned this new truth and realizing that his message was incomplete. Now, knowing Jesus and his power and his birth and his burial, his resurrection, all that stuff, now he'll go to Corinth. And then if you read in the letters to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you will see that Apollos will go on to have as successful, if not more successful, of a ministry than Paul himself had there. Because they'll say things like, I follow Apollos and I follow Paul. And Paul will kind of rebuke them saying, look, you don't follow Apollos, you don't follow Paul, you follow Jesus. But from that, we can see that Apollos will have a, a, a fantastic ministry there. We, we can see throughout Scripture that he'll also at some points travel with Paul that Paul will allude to throughout Scripture. We also can see from Paul's letter to Titus that he will go on to travel with Titus again, sharing this good news of Jesus. And so what we see is that, there's, that, that Apollos after this moment, will have a lasting and profound impact on the kingdom. When we look at Priscilla and Aquila, what we see is um, Acts chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 16, 19 tells us that Priscilla and Aquila will send their greetings to the church in Corinth as Paul is writing this letter, which he, uh, believe, we believe he was writing this letter from Ephesus. So what, and he says that not only do Priscilla and Aquila greet the people in Corinth, but also the church that is in their house. And so what we can see from this is, is that after this moment where Priscilla and Aquila meet Apollos, they'll have a, a house church that meets in their home. And they will pour into other believers in, in uh, Ephesus. Later on, um, as time goes on, the church in Rome gets a letter that is written by Paul, and Paul sends greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, which tells us that most likely after this moment, They'll plant a house church in Ephesus and then they'll go on to Rome where they will also plant another house church. And Paul will say that they are his fellow workers, that they risked their necks for Paul, that they were powerfully used for the Gentiles. And again, he'll mention the church that meets in their home. And this is um, kind of side topic, just for half of a second. As I read, after I think through all that and I read back through Acts 18.2, it says that Paul went to Corinth to see them. And I wonder, even if in Corinth, maybe Priscilla and Aquila had a church that met in their home there. But altogether, what we see is that Priscilla and Aquila will be powerfully used by God in Corinth, in Ephesus, and in Rome. They'll be powerfully used by the Lord in the life of Paul, the life of Paulus, the life of Timothy. They'll have churches that meet in their home, and they'll be powerfully used for many Gentiles. And I think what we see in all of this is Priscilla and Aquila, these people, there's this moment that happens where they share the good news with Apollos, and the result is all three of them are powerfully used for the gospel. That, those are the people, that is the moment, that is the results. Now, if you ever do much of studying the Bible, people will throw out terms like, you should first read and do who, what, when, where, why, how. And that's kind of what we've done. Or they'll say maybe observe the text, then interpret the text, and then, then imply the text. And that's kind of what we've done. And so I think there's a whole lot that we could take away from all that we've said right now. I think there's a whole lot of things that we could take away. But I want to focus on three things that I think that we can take away from this text. 
Number one is this. I think that you see Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife, as true partners in the gospel. You see this husband and wife, true partners in the gospel. And I I think back to this advice that Sarah and I got, um, probably, I know I got, and I think she got, and it was kind of separate, is when you're single, what you do is you just run the race toward the Lord. You just, you just seek to know him, to love him, and to follow him, to serve him. And eventually, it's like you're running a race, and you're going to look over and realize that there's somebody who's running beside you. And for me, I was just kind of running that race, and I looked over, and I saw that Sarah was kind of running that same race. It was like, well, she seems pretty cool. And we're still just running. And, and what they said is what will happen is as you're running that race, eventually you'll just kind of, you'll kind of come together. And so that's kind of totally exactly what happened with Sarah and I is that we became, we became interested in each other, me more interested in her to start, but <clears throat> at least I thought. Um, she was more interested than I was. Don't, don't let her fool you. Um, so, but what happens is, 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 they, is, is a couple comes together, right? But I think if you really look around, even in the church, what you see is a husband and wife get married, but then because they each have different interests, because they each have different um, ideas of things, or maybe because they even have different giftings, eventually what happens is, yes, they've come together, but then it's now almost like, well, he goes and does this, and she goes and does that. And, and we saw that in our lives. So what happened is, is we, we got married, and we, we took a little bit of time kind of off of ministry, so to speak, to really focus on what it means to be married and on all this stuff. But then what happens is I became very... Um, passionate about, seeing, about teaching about discipleship. Like, how do we pour into people so that people pour into people? And so I'm kind of doing all this type of stuff. And at the same time, Sarah's getting really passionate about, we want to have kids that know the Lord. And so she gets really involved in, in children's ministry. And I'm really involved in discipleship ministry. And then Sarah realizes that being around kids all day teaching and then being around kids all day Sunday is a little bit wearing and realizes that I think I want to be part of women's ministry. It was more than that. But so, so she starts really pouring into women. I'm pouring into guys and the people who are doing discipleship, and Sarah's pouring into women, and we're kind of, we're kind of going two different directions. And I, and I look at this, and I think that Priscilla and Aquila, they're the partners in the gospel. And I look back to Sarah and I's earlier days in ministry, and not to say that we were doing anything wrong or anything bad, but I think what would it have looked like if I would have been more involved with what she was doing? What if I'd have said, you know, you're pouring into these kids, I'm going to come with you. Or if I would have even said, hey, you're pouring into these kids, what are some of their names? And while you're doing that, I'm going to be praying. Or if she would have said, tell me about the people that are in the class that you're teaching about discipleship, because I want to pray for them, or, or I'm going to come too, because I want to hear and see how it, like, but, but we were almost going totally separate directions. And I think what we see in Priscilla and Aquila is a, is a, like a billboard. When you're driving down the road, you see a billboard. It's like this big, like shiny thing that's like, they don't, fl- some of them flash, but they kind of flash and like, it's like, it's, it's like begging for your attention. And I, my hope is that today, as you read through the Bible, if you ever come across Priscilla and Aquila, my hope is that you see it as this signpost for what a beautiful marriage that is Christ-centered, that is focused on the gospel looks like. And as I was reading through it this week, I thought, man, this is like a, what, what I think a good, healthy, God-focused marriage looks like, where two people are on the same team in ministry, where they individually are sold out, committed, they're all in, they're both pursuing God individually, and then it continues to do it, they do that together. Over time, Sarah and I realized that like, yes, I can go do this and she can go do this, but, but we, we began to learn more and more about how can we do this together. 
And I think that it's kind of, I don't know if this is actually scientific. Uh, I, I didn't pay attention at all in science. Um, but I think if you have one horse and it's pulling something, you have one horsepower. And if you have two horses, I don't know if you actually have two horsepower or four horsepower or what, but I think what happens, rather than one horse, you have one horsepower, two horses, I don't think you have just two horsepower. Because I think what happens is there's this feeding off of each other. There's this encouraging of one another. And it's almost like, you know, when you run, if you have somebody who's running with you, they can push you to run further and to run faster. I wouldn't know because I don't run, but I would assume that that's how that would work. But I think what we see with Priscilla and Aquila, what we should see as a signpost for what a true biblical marriage of husband and wife both all in would look like. Now, um, I think in our culture, I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox. I think in our culture, what can almost happen, and I know people that this has happened, where you have a pastor who's all in, and his wife doesn't even really like the church that they go to. The wife doesn't even want to go to the church that they go to. In fact, I heard a story this week of a, of a wife, a pastor's wife, who is so fed up with feeling like her husband was married to the church and not to her that she filed a restraining order against him. Um, is there more to it than that? Probably. But the thing is, is that I, I see in our culture and in our lives is that so often our marriages, we're going different directions rather than being on the same team. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six times in the New Testament, and they are never mentioned apart. I don't think that doesn't mean that they weren't doing opposite things or different things at different times, but I think that their ministry was known as it being together. And I think that it should stand out as a signpost. And now again, last thing on this point, I think that there could be some who say, you know, I'm, I'm still single. Man, I think this gives a good picture of what a godly marriage that's focused on the Lord could look like. I also think that there are people who could say, you know, I wish, man, my wife won't even get out of bed in the morning. No. Or could say, you know, my husband, he, I don't, I don't think that would ever happen. Well, I don't say this in any way to, to make anyone feel bad. What I'm saying is I think that this is the way that God would, would want it. But I don't want anyone to get too discouraged. I think maybe you discuss it as a couple. Maybe you pray together about it. Maybe you move toward them. You know, I look back and Sarah and I's other days, why didn't I move toward her and help out in children's ministry? Why didn't, you know, why didn't we, do, I think we, there could have been where rather than one horsepower, one horsepower, I'm not calling my wife a horse, but we have one horsepower, one horsepower. If we would have been together, if that might have also done even more. And so I wonder if um, if that's true. Priscilla and Aquila, last thing um, about that is the legend has it that they will go on and they will both be killed as martyrs for their faith side by side. I think it, I think it really should just be the signpost of what a, a marriage that is focused on Christ with both people all in would look like. Number two, um, second thing that I kind of take away from this is that both the husband and wife are doing ministry. Both of them are doing ministry. In fact, if you read through all six places in the Bible where they are mentioned, four of the six, they will be called Priscilla and Aquila. Two of the times, they are called Aquila and Priscilla. 
And why is that important? If you remember when we were talking about Barnabas and Saul, and then we've talked about Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Saul are the same person, but why is it that in the Scriptures they're referred to as Barnabas and Saul for quite some time and then later referred to as Paul and Barnabas? I don't know for sure, but I can tell you that I think that first name in some way, shape, or form has prominence. What does that mean? I don't know exactly what that means. Um, Barnabas is the one who kind of brings Saul in and starts doing ministry with him. Eventually, it becomes Paul who's, who's almost pulling Barnabas with him places, it appears in the text. I don't know exactly what it means, but I'll tell you this. I think at the very least, it means that Priscilla is very educated. She's able to explain the scriptures. She, too, is very willing to open up her home for them to have house churches in it. She, too, is very willing to be put in harm's way. I believe that she, too, is a woman who is powerfully used by God. And I think that men and women can so often sell themselves short on what God wants to do in and through them. But I want to speak for just a minute specifically about um, a couple things. One, in our culture, I think men can almost be viewed as these um, lazy dummies. If you watch some sitcoms, it's like all the guys are just these lazy dummies. And sometimes that's true. And I think that there should be this thing in us that both husband and wife are doing ministry and we as men, we need to step up. We need to stand up. We need to, to, to lead. We need to love. We need to be passionate. We need to, I see that, right? But I also see, and I think that in the church, we don't talk about it often enough. So I'm going to get on a soapbox for a minute. I think that if you really look through the scriptures and you even look through this and see Priscilla, you see a woman who's powerfully used for the Lord. And I think that we don't talk enough about how powerfully women can be used for the gospel. If you read through the Bible, you'll meet a woman named Rahab. She'll be a woman who will help hide spies and will help God's people get into the promised land. She plays an integral part. You can read through and meet a woman named Ruth who's a woman who has such an upright character that she has a reputation around the entire town because of her character. You can read of a woman named Deborah who will be a prophetess and judge that will deliver people as a military leader. You can read about Hannah, a woman who vows if the Lord allows her to have a child that she will hand her child over. And she does and she never seeks to take him back. I can tell you as a father, it is hard to hand my kids over to the Lord, but I feel like it's even a little bit harder for most moms to let go and hand their child over to the Lord. And in the midst of the scriptures, you see this woman who I think is powerfully used by God because she's willing to hand her child over to the Lord. I remember hearing a message at one point, and the guy said, I wanted nothing more than my kids to serve the Lord until my daughter came and told me that she wanted to be a missionary in a very, very rough area. And I no longer wanted her to serve the Lord. I think Hannah is powerfully used in the scriptures for us to see that. You see Mary, the mother of Jesus, who lives her life in total surrender as a devoted servant. You see Martha, who opens up her home and who serves. 
She gets bashed for it a little bit, but I think it's an amazing picture of how she's used. You see Mary, who's always sitting at Jesus' feet, seeking to learn from him. And, and through the scriptures, you see women who are powerfully used in things that we can, these huge lessons that we can see. You see Mary Magdalene, she was the first person to see the resurrected Christ. She's the first person to announce he has risen. You see throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, you see women displaying tremendous faith. You see them worshiping the Lord. You see them following Jesus. You see them as prayer warriors. You see them as evangelists. You see that it is actually throughout the Scriptures it's women who most often, maybe not most often, but it says that women were providing for His ministry. And you also see women proclaiming Jesus. In the book of Acts, women are part of the 120. Women are very often opening their homes. You often see women sharing Jesus with their whole families. You see in our text today that women are so much a part of the ministry that they're explaining the Scriptures alongside their husband. As we continue on in the book of Acts, we'll see Philip the evangelist. He will have four prophetess daughters. Women are powerfully used throughout the Scriptures. If you continue to read through the Bible in Acts chapter 16, you'll meet a woman named Phoebe. She's called a deaconess. She's a female woman who's serving the Lord. She will be the person who is handed the, the, the letter to the church in Rome and told to take that to the church in Rome. She will take the letter to the church in Rome and Paul will call her a saint, call her a partner in the Gospel. She will also most likely be the one who, if the church in Rome has questions, she'll probably have to in some way try to answer those questions. You can read about a woman named Juania, um, who Paul refers to as a prisoner with him, that he says that she was in the faith before he was, and he refers to her as an apostle. Now, there are some that say that's not a woman, that's a man, but the name is in a female form. You'll meet Timothy's mom and grandma who, according to 2 Timothy, teach him the importance of the Scriptures, but also will be women who model faith before him. Throughout Scriptures, women are powerfully used to do ministry. You'll meet a, a couple, a woman, two women, Tryphenia and Tryphosa, something like that, who are thought to be twin sisters that are workers for the Lord. Uh, I think that this text stands out to me that, number one, what would it look like for a husband and wife to be on the same page doing ministry as partners? I think the second thing that sticks out to me, too, is this, is that both men and women are needed to do ministry. The third thing, I think that there are moments in our lives that can have a lasting and profound impact on the kingdom. When you see Priscilla and Aquila, they meet Apollos, and I think that the moment that they meet, God uses in a powerful way, and there are ramifications that go way beyond that. And I don't know if you're like me, but so often I can be too busy or, or not flexible, I can be too task-oriented, not relationally oriented at times. Um, I cannot be listening to the Spirit or looking for opportunities. And it makes me think of a guy named Mark Murdoch. So I was in, um, early on when I had become a believer, I started getting involved in youth ministry, and Mark Murdoch was the youth pastor, and I was like his 
dummy guy who'd go run and get coffee or do whatever. And then it kind of grew into a little bit more where, I, where he kind of included me in things. But Mark um, became a pretty dear friend to me so much so that he was at my, he was at my wedding. He was at um, my bachelor party. And, and so here's what happens. A group of us guys go to Dave and Buster's and the thought is, let's go play a bunch of video games. Let's go sit on that machine where you get electrocuted and see how high you can get electrocuted. Clearly invented by a guy. But so we're all doing all this stuff, right? We're having a good old time. We're playing these games. We get lined up. We're all doing in the race where everybody's in the same race, and we're doing all this different stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm like, where's Murdoch? What? Where is he? And he was, he kind of, hopefully he never listens to this. He was kind of one of those ditzy guys. Like, you just, you weren't sure where he would be and when he would be there, and you weren't sure if he'd show up on time. But we can't find Murdoch, and we're like, where in the world is he? We go out into the lobby, and there he is sitting with this person telling them about Jesus. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit mad. I was kind of like, you know what, this is my bachelor party, dude. Like, this is it. This is the one I get. And I, like, I want you to be in here with us playing these games and being idiots and just having fun. And, but he was choosing the better thing. Like, he looked for those moments realizing that at any moment God could use him to do something powerful for the kingdom. And uh, it's a huge challenge to me that there are moments that can have a lasting and profound impact on the kingdom. Um, I wrote this down this morning as I was thinking through it. Um, those that are so often most powerfully used by God are those who are willing and ready to say yes at any moment. And I confess to you that there's a lot of moments I'm not ready to say yes. Um, but this text to me stands out as being willing to look for those moments. Because I believe that just like Apollos, I think there are people like that all over the place. They know a lot of the information, but they have failed to fully see Jesus. I think there are people this time of year that they know the Christmas story but they're missing Jesus. I think there are people that know about Jesus' ministry. Like there was this Jesus and he said he did things like this. Like they know about that, but they're, they're missing Jesus. I think that when you look around in, in real life, you see people that know that there was this guy named Jesus and he died, but they don't know that he rose. There are people who may even know that he supposedly rose but they don't really know that he did and why he did. I'm going to wrap it up. I believe in our text for today, as we look at these people, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos, as we see this moment that he shares with them, I think we see this beautiful, beautiful thing. And the results have this dramatic, lasting impact throughout Scripture. And I think that God wants to, to allow us to see a couple things. One, about a husband and wife, what a couple that are truly partners for the gospel could look like. Number two, I think he wants us to see that both husband and wife, both men and women, are powerfully used for his kingdom. And number three, I think that he would want us to see that there are moments that can have a lasting and profound impact on the kingdom. I feel like in a room this size, there are people who maybe have never fully understood what Apollos heard. 
They've never fully grasped the power and the amazing thing of Jesus. Or maybe as time has gone by, this life is hard. It's, it's hard. Just learned yesterday that my grandmother's been placed in hospice. We know of, of news of people being sick. We know of cancer. We know of all of these different things. Man, this life sucks sometimes, right? But what I think that what we see is that there are people like Apollos. We ourselves can be like Apollos. Where we, we get all of it, but we're missing something. And it made me think about this, that when, when in, in the Old Testament, um, God designed how the church was, how the temple was supposed to look. And in it, there was this curtain. And this curtain blocked the holy of holies. So there's just this curtain. Like God, in essence, God and his presence were behind this curtain. And you, you don't get to really see that. Once a year, a high priest can go in and see it. But you can't really see it. And I think that this thinking through Apollos and what he would have learned in that moment is that while there's this curtain that is there, this curtain that's almost blocking us from God, blocking us from a relationship with God, it's, it's blocking us from forgiveness of sin, it's blocking us from victory over sin, it's blocking us from an eternity with Him, that the Bible teaches that at the time, just before Jesus died, when He said, forgive them for they do not know what they do, and there's an earthquake, do you know what happened to that temp- in that temple, to the curtain? The curtain was just ripped. And now there's this this thing that we can come to the presence of God. We can know Him. We can be forgiven by Him. We can stand before Him. And so the thing I think that Apollos learned in this moment, he knew the facts, but maybe he was missing Jesus. And I think that there's got to be people here today who you know the facts, but you're missing Jesus. Or maybe you, you know Jesus, but you've just kind of forgot. Your heart's just a little bit calloused. And my hope and my prayer today is that as we read this scripture, we see something beautiful and wonderful, just like Apollo saw. And my hope is that while I think Apollos went to Ephesus knowing facts, yet maybe missing Jesus, my hope today is that none of us leave here missing Jesus. Let's pray. God, your word truly is so rich. I know I feel like there's so much that you have taught me and reminded me through this text this week. And God, I pray that you would do the same in in, in each of us. God, I know that you want to use both men and women. You want to use marriages. You want to even use um, our single, if we're single, you want to use our singlehood for your kingdom, that you want to use all of us, that you want us to be willing and ready and open. But God, none of that happens unless we, like Apollos, more accurately understand your way. And that we understand what happened when Jesus died on the cross. We understand the beauty of the fact that that tomb is now empty. That you rose. So God, I pray that you would 
pray that you would just help us to see you more clearly. Help us to more accurately understand the way. God, give us people like Priscilla and Aquila to remind us when our eyes um, begin to feel that it looks so far away. And God, give us a heart like Apollos that's humble, that's teachable, and that looks to you to see the way more accurately. In your awesome and precious name, amen.